0: Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans this morning. I don't know about you guys, but I've just been encouraged by the music this morning, just the the faithfulness of God and, uh, man, just Christ is mine forevermore. Is there a greater truth in all the Bible that Jesus Christ calls me his and he is mine? Like, that's as good as it gets. And so uh, I've been encouraged by that this morning, but... Romans chapter 1, if, if you're a first-time guest with us here at Hui call today, let me say thanks for being here. We're delighted to have you as our guest. Uh, if you're looking for a church home uh, that, that preaches the Bible and loves people, you have found the right place. Um, and I want to encourage you just to jump in with both feet and get plugged in here. Uh, we found ourselves in our study of the book of Romans. We started probably 14, 15 weeks ago, uh, probably the first Sunday after Easter, and so we're probably three months or so deep into it. If you missed anything, you can always get caught up on our website or through the Hui Calla app. I'd encourage you, if you don't yet have the Who We Call app, you can download it right now while I'm talking because inside the app, uh, if you click on today's message, there's a place that shows the notes for today. Click a button that says fill in notes. It's going to pop up a browser that covers everything we're going to cover today. All the verses I'm going to reference are all in there uh, on your mobile device. If that helps you, if not, just grab a sheet of paper and follow along uh, this morning because I know you'll be helped by today's message. Romans is an outstanding book. Paul wrote it to the church at Rome. He had never actually visited this church, and uh, in the beginning of chapter one, he says, hey, I can't wait to come, and I want to preach the gospel there, and I want to encourage you, and I want to be encouraged with you. Paul would never actually have the opportunity to go to Rome uh, to be with the church. The only time that Paul actually went to Rome in his lifetime was when he was in prison for preaching the gospel. And so, uh, but he's writing a letter to a church that he's never been to before, uh, really encouraging them, and he he drops some major, deep, doctrinal, theological truths uh, in this letter that he writes. And so uh, it starts off um, the the first, kind of the introduction to the letter, if you will, Uh, very very kind, very gracious. I've heard a lot of great things about you. I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to be encouraged by you. Uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God and the salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Uh, And then he gets in down to like verse number 18, he begins to talking about things like the wrath of God. And then it gets kind of heavy all the way through chapter number one, and it just gets heavier and heavier and heavier as we go. So we're, uh, to encourage you this morning in the heavy passage of the book of Romans, I would venture to say outside of the book of the Revelation, this is probably one of the heaviest, weightiest passages in all of the New Testament. We find ourselves probably, I'd say, 33% of the way through it. So we're kind of just getting started, getting in the middle of it uh, shortly here, because it, it just gets heavier from here. And so the next couple of weeks, I'm going to say, are going to be really, really, really heavy as we go through. Again, if you can read through the end of the chapter, you can see why uh, for that. I'll be titled today's today's message, Idolatry Meets the Wrath of God. Uh, We're going to start in Romans chapter 1, verse number 18. Uh, We're going to go down through verse number 25 here today. We'll probably spend most of our time in verses 23 through 25, uh, but for the sake of context and kind of give us an idea of what's going on, uh, uh, we'll start in verse number 18. Romans chapter 1 verse number 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God hath also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, we find ourselves today in the middle of a passage of scripture that we've kind of been building up to over probably the last six weeks or so. Uh, Verse number 18, we took about two weeks and we talked about the wrath of God. Um, If you're looking for like top five encouraging messages ever preached at Huicalla, the Wrath of God Part 1 and Part 2 probably wouldn't make that list uh, because he's basically talking about God hates sin with every fiber of his being. And we set that up to, to go through God hates sin, and then we talked about the last couple of weeks how God hates idolatry. And idolatry is any time we take God out of his rightful place and put something else in its place, Uh, whether that be you know another god or the way that we live our lives or ourselves or what we believe in things like that and so we find here today where these two truths that we've been talking about for probably the last six weeks the wrath of god and idolatry now they come together in this verse and collide what happens what's the fallout of, of this the fallout of this is the destruction of mankind uh, and again, that's why I'm saying that we're in kind of an ugly passage of Scripture and it keeps getting uglier, but there's a great truth, there's a silver lining to all this that I want you to hang on and, and catch today. When we take a look at idolatry, verse number, 20, um, verse number 21 kind of explains it for us. They knew God, they glorified Him not as God, but they weren't thankful. Verse number 23 tells us they changed the glory of God into an image made into like corruptible man. So what happens with idolatry is we exchange the glory of God for the corruption of this world. We take God who is perfect, God who is holy, God who is without sin, God who every aspect about him is beautiful, it's perfect, it's right, and then we take him off of the throne where he is, and we put something else up there in its place, whether it be... The things that this world has to offer, money, status, relationships, sexual idolatry, drugs, alcohol, materialism, false gods, whatever you have. We've done a switcheroo. We've taken God out of his place and we put something up there instead. And we think that this will satisfy us. We think that this is going to bring what our heart craves. You see, we exchange a perfect, complete God for idols that will never satisfy we put our, our sights on something that we think will bring fulfillment. Oh, if I could just get married, I think I would be happy. If I could just have children after I'm married, I think I'd be happy. Hey, if we could just buy our first home, I think I'd be happy. Hey, if we could get that promotion at work, I think I'd be happy. Hey, if, if I got this, that, or the other, I think that would bring the fulfillment that I needed. But we're exchanging the satisfaction of God into things that cannot satisfy why I love one of the songs we sang this morning shout to the lord because the the end of that chorus says nothing compares to the promise that I have in Jesus Christ man anything that this world has to offer is a poor pathetic counterfeit to how good Jesus really is and here's the the problem with idolatry is that at some point your idol will fail guaranteed it's going to let you down. If you thought that marriage was going to satisfy uh, and scratch that itch that's in the depths of your soul, it probably did for a couple of weeks, maybe if you were really lucky, a couple of months. For some people, it lasted, you know, a couple of hours, and, and you realized this wasn't what scratches the itch in the depths of my soul. I don't know how many of you have ever gotten buyer's remorse before. You had this, your idea set on this thing that was going to provide lasting happiness and fulfillment, and you got it, and it just didn't measure up to what you thought it would be. Several years ago, I convinced my wife to allow me to buy a motorcycle. Um, Man, 20 years of marriage before she ever even gave me a maybe on it. Uh, And even then, she wanted to make sure, is your life insurance policy paid up because you're going to die? And and it was paid up, so it was good. And so... um, she allowed me to buy a motorcycle. She's like, you've never ridden a motorcycle. I know, but I've always wanted to. Uh, and so I had a moped, and so it's kind of like a mini motorcycle, right? And so, um, it's not, but it's a good idea. Uh, but, uh, uh, and so I finally convinced her to let me buy a motorcycle, and she did. I- I'd never ridden a motorcycle, so there was a guy in our church that had, had a motorcycle. And I said, would you go look at this? Because like, I don't even know what I'm looking for. I don't know if this is a good motorcycle or bad. And so uh, I found a guy uh, actually right across the street who had a It it was a powerful beast. It was a Ninja 300. For those of you that don't know, they measure motorcycles in CCs, and like a a, a big beast would be like a, a 1200 or a 1600 or something like that. A 300 is like, here's a moped. The 300 is like, right there. And so I'm looking at it, and the guy even asked me, he said, so is this motorcycle for your girlfriend or your wife? Oh well, my girlfriend happens to be my wife, but uh, this is for me. He was like, "Oh no, 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 I've got a Ducati 1200 for you. I, I do not want to die, and so I, I won't take this. So anyways, I buy this motorcycle, and I'm so jacked when I get home with this motorcycle because I have pictures of, of me in my mind. I'm driving down lagoon drive where the airport is. I've got my leather bombers' jacket on with my aviator sunglasses, white t-shirt on underneath it, right? The sound of freedom roars through the air as the F 22s take off, and I pump my fist in the air as they go by, right? Like, this is what's going on in my mind. Like, yes. I I get it home, I show it to my wife. She's like, it's beautiful. I know. I'm so excited. And I said, I can't wait to get my license so we can go ride. And she says, Oh, I'm never getting on that thing. (laughs) Well, I know i got to learn how to, no, 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 I don't care what you know, I don't care what you learn, I'm not getting on that thing. And it's just like, wow, that's a bummer, that was just kind of part of the reason that I got it. And so, anyways, I, I go to, um, to register it and, and things like that, I call my insurance company, put on my insurance, they said, well, do you have a, uh, a motorcycle course certificate showing that you know how to actually drive it? So I said, I don't, where do you get that? Well, each state's different, and so, okay, fine. And so, State of Hawaii, I call up, and I say, hey, I need to, to sign up for your motorcycle course. When is, when's the next class? They said, oh, it, it's coming up, you know, next month on a Saturday and Sunday. Well, I can't go on Sunday because, like, is it, like, you know, from, like, 1 to, like, 3 that I can make it? No, it's, like, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. That's not going to work for me because i got somewhere i got to be on every Sunday of the world. Uh, so, what are my options? Uh, when, do you have another class in the fall or something like that? No, all of our classes are on sun- Saturdays and Sundays. So, I can't even get insurance on my motorcycle so i said well do you accept uh certificates from out of state and they said sure and so my friend the chadwicks uh, i asked hey can i stay with you guys for a couple days i fly to san diego to take a motorcycle safety course (laughs) this is how bad it's getting right (laughs) i fly there i pass the course and when you pass the course they give you a certificate that automatically uh, gives you a motorcycle license in the state of california (gasps) only if you have a driver's license in the state of california which i did not and the certificate that they give you is non-transferable to the state of Hawaii. <laughs> so I get back here. I've got a certificate. I can get it insured now. I can take the written test, but I still have to take a road course. Well, I take the road course, and I fail it miserably. I can almost fall over off the bike uh, on the road course. Ah, fail. Well, that was disappointing. So now I can ride it, but I can't have passengers, which I wasn't going to have anyways. Uh, and, and I can't ride at night. And so then, uh, you know, I'm riding it. I rode it like six times. I almost got hit twice and almost died. And I was just like, I'm not trying to die on a motorcycle. Like, I want to die, like, doing something else. But uh, And so, anyways, I was like, okay, this maybe this wasn't a great idea after all. Then one morning, I get up about 6 a.m. to go to the gym, and I walk outside, and the, the gate to the atrium is open. And I look inside, and there's no motorcycle there. Like, gone. And I was just like, oh, no, what happened? And so I began to think to myself, like, a couple of big, like, Samoan guys came in the middle of the night, and they picked it up, and they threw it in the back of a... It was a 300, so it was probably one big Samoan guy picked it up, <laughs> threw it in the back of a truck, and drove off. And so I roll back our security footage, and sure enough, about 3 o'clock in the morning, some guy comes and opens the gate, pulls up the, the, the cover of the motorcycle, sits on top of it, turns the key, and drives it off, like in like literally 10 seconds. And I thought to myself, the key's in my, my office. I go, like, he's not there. And so I go and ask my son, and I won't say which one, but he's older, um, <laughs> Hey man, did like, did you like move my? Oh yeah, it was in the way, and I had to move it the other day. And I said, where did you put the key when it was done? <sighs> I think I might have left it in there. Oh okay, why don't you go check? He's like, okay. And she so goes out there. He's like, I think your motorcycle's gone. <laughs> yes it is. Yes it is. And so that was the end of my motorcycle ownership. I never got to hear the roar of freedom on Lagoon Drive. Never. I never even got to buy a bomber jacket. Like, that's how bad it was. But I had in my picture in, this mi- in my mind of how awesome this was going to be, and it just never panned out. It wasn't my thing. It didn't work out for me the way that I'd anticipated. But here's the problem with that. We have our inner picture in our mind so many times of something that's going to satisfy us in a way that only God can. And it's not a matter of if these things fail, it's a matter of when they fail, because you will be let down by idolatry 100% of the time. But there's someone who will never fail you, and his name is Jesus. He's good 100% of the time. And so it's interesting to note that when you make yourself other gods, they're really fake figments of your imaginations. There's no other gods, there's only our God. So it's not like there's a bunch of other gods out there in the universe and we we happen to pick the right one or of all the gods in the universe, you know, if we were to go head to head against the other gods of the universe, our God would come out on top. There are no other gods other than our God. And any other God that has been created was created by the deceptive, wicked, idolatrous heart of mankind. You take a look at the gods of the Old Testament. Astaroth, Baal, Dagon, all those are fake gods that man made up because he is an idolater at heart. We want to worship something. and if we don't worship God, we'll find something else to worship. And that's kind of what Romans chapter one tells us here. Now it's important to understand that all other gods and idolatry are an attempt to worship something other than the one true God. So again, uh, if we take a look at our, our text this morning again, verse number 19 tells us that God's revealed himself in all people, that which is known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it to them. Uh, verse, end of verse number 20, they're without excuse, but verse 21 tells us they knew God, but they glorified him not as God. And then verse number 23 tells us they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into the image of a corruptible human man. And so we see we want to worship something, so if we don't worship God, we've got to find something else that we think will satisfy, but you'll be disappointed 100% of the time because the only thing that fixes the craving in the depths of your soul is Jesus. Now, I want you to hear this, and if you hear nothing else from everything that I say today, you got to hear this. When you were born into this world, you were born with a corrupt, idolatrous heart, You wanted to worship something, so you found something that would do that for you, and you worshiped yourself. You've done what you wanted to do. You've gone your own way. You don't care about God. You don't care about his rules. You've always done your own thing. That's what I did. That's what you've done. We're all sinners before God. Because you've chosen to sin against the holy God, please understand, God will punish your sin. Again, that's what God's wrath is. God's wrath is his righteous, furious, burning anger against sin. Because you sin, God will judge that. Here's your punishment. Here's my punishment because we've sinned. You will die. You will go to hell. And you will pay for your sins there for all of eternity. That's what I deserve. That's what you deserve. Why? Because we're idolaters. But here's the good news. And again, please, if you hear nothing else today, tune in for this right here. God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die in your place. His life for mine. He never sinned. The Bible says he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus died in your place so that you don't have to go to hell. Jesus took your punishment for your sin on himself. That's why he was crucified. That's why he was beaten. That's why he was humiliated. That's why he had to die to pay for our sins. But here's what he requires of you. He requires you to believe in him with all of your heart. We call that faith. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe he's the only way to heaven. And we have to repent. I have to turn from my sin. What that means, I have to ask forgiveness. I have to seek God's forgiveness for my sin. We call that being born again or saved. It's a a point in time in your life. It's a one-time deal where you recognize, I need to be saved. Saved from the punishment and wrath of God. Jesus is the only one that can do that for you. This church could not save you as much as I would like to. I cannot save you as much as I would like to. There's not a religion in the world, not a baptism that you could do that would save you from your sins. It's only Jesus. And friend, if you're here today and you say, I don't really know if I'm saved or not. Please understand, God's punishment is coming for you one day. And the only way that you can avoid that is to put your faith in Jesus. This is not come forward at the church service. This is not come, come forward and cry. This is not, uh, I, I put my hand up in a church service and therefore I'm going to heaven. It's a time where you must be born again. Jesus says in John chapter 3, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You need to be saved. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Jesus says, I am the only way to heaven. And so you need to be saved today. Here's the great news about Romans chapter 1. It talks about the destruction of mankind. And through this process of being an idolater, of God's wrath coming for you, at any point you can wave a white flag and say, I surrender, I give up, I'm turning away from my sin, and God will scoop you up and save you from his punishment. At any moment you can do that. But the moment that you take your last breath here on planet Earth, there's no second chance. No, no opportunity for redemption after this life. There's only either heaven for those that have allowed Jesus to pay the price, or there's punishment for those who die in their sins. Most important thing you'll ever hear in the entire world, we call that the gospel. Jesus died for sinners, and you can be saved if you put your faith in him. But idolatry says, oh, no, no, I don't want to believe in Jesus, I'm going to believe in myself. I don't want to trust in God. I'm going to trust in myself. And that's precisely what the Bible tells us in verse number 22. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. I don't need this book. It's a bunch of fairy tales. I'm smart enough to figure out life on my own. And the Bible says when you do that, you're simply confessing the fact that you are a fool. And so idolatry, verse 25 tells us, is the setting aside of God to worship the things that he's made. Verse 25, take a look at it who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever, amen. Idolatry is taking the focus off of God the Father as the creator and then looking around to the creation that he's made for something to worship. Who do we worship? We worship people. We worship money. We worship status. We worship education. Uh, We worship, you know, our careers, employment. We chase after these things when our worship should be directed upwards towards the creator, not on the things that he's created. I was telling our men the other night that we'd gone to coffee with the Chadwick's on Friday and we'd gone to Honolulu Coffee Company and we're sitting there having uh, having coffee and talking and stuff like that and this guy walks into the the coffee shop he looks around like this and he immediately comes over to our table to me and Pastor Chadwick who are sitting there drinking coffee. He says, Do you guys drive a green Porsche? And I was like, no. And he was like, oh, man, it just got smashed in the parking lot. (gasps) What? And so we immediately, like, we're nosy, so it's like, let's let's go see. Let's go look. Sure enough, somebody had backed up into this Porsche, and I was told the other night that it's pronounced Porsche, but I'll say Porsche because I'm from Kentucky. Um, Had backed into this Porsche, and we walk out there. The front bumper is, like, hanging on the ground. And like like most cars like a toyota corolla has like you know six inches of air behind there and like a little plastic piece this had like coolant hoses and things that was all smashed in there um, and gorgeous car but front bumper hanging down the worst part is the guy who parked it there wasn't even there in the coffee shop so uh, they couldn't find who did it they don't know uh, th- first of all they don't know who did it because somebody backed into it and took off they don't know who owns the car and I thought to myself, whoever finds this car is going to have a really, really bad day. But I, was, I took hope in the fact that when a guy walks into a coffee shop and he's looking for the owner of a Porsche, the first table that he came to, <laughs> I'm just saying, first table that he came to was mine. Because c- we looked like Porsche owners, I'm sure. Uh, but, um, but I thought to myself, if that's just a, a car for somebody and they don't really care, I'd be like, man, that's a bummer. That's disappointing. But I have a feeling somebody came back and it just absolutely destroyed their day. Why? Because we find things that have been made by the creator that we choose to worship instead of the creator. I had a uh, scrolling through my news feed the other day, and it's just like uh, important conversation in all, all, all caps. And it's just like, ooh, what is that? And I stopped for a minute and looked. And so I clicked on the article to find out what the important conversation was. And it was this. How to have a frank conversation with your children about climate change. (laughs) What? Do I I need to sit my? Oh, yes, you do. And so I I click on the article. And again, first paragraph. Sit your children down in a non-threatening environment where they feel comfortable. What? And it went on to talk about, you know, you talk to your kids about the importance of, you know, your family's carbon footprint. You know, here's a carbon f- footprint calculator that you can do to figure out how you can shrink that. You talk to your kids about ways to, s- s- to save the earth, like things like recycling and stuff like that. And I thought, hold up for a second. I watched a Netflix documentary on recycling. And I know that, like, when you put it in the, the little blue bin, your, your plastic water bottle, it doesn't get made into another plastic water bottle in this magical plant. They're sending it to, like, Indonesia and, like, burning it in pits, you know. But, th- again, this idea that, like, oh, we've got to take care of Mother Earth. Why? Because we worship the creation rather than the creator. Now, again, I'm all for stewardship. I'm not trying to, like, burn the planet or things like that. But let me just tell you this. I've read the book, and it's all going to burn anyways. I mean, Seriously. Whether it's the, the melting of the polar ice caps is going to cause it to burn, or God's righteous wrath and judgment, it's all going to burn one day. And so the big conversation that you need to have with your kids, probably not about climate change. That's just my take. Why? Because when you do that, you're taking the focus off of the Creator, and you're putting on the creation. What should you talk to your kids about? Should you talk to your kids about loving Jesus? You can talk, should talk to your kids about the gospel? I mean, we got books in our bookstore for toddlers that talk to our toddlers about the gospel. If you got kids in the two- and three-year-old class this morning, they're not hearing about, you know, how to reduce their carbon footprint. They're hearing about Jesus. Because those are the conversations we need to have with our kids. Now, again, I'm not minimizing being a good steward of of God's earth and being a good steward of of whatever. But, again, if you think that you're driving an electric vehicle and you're saving the planet, you're probably not. But, again... If I drive an electric vehicle, it's not because I want to save the planet. Because my God is not the planet. My God is the creator of the planet. And so you say, well, well, that sounds like the world that we live in today. No, that's the world that Paul lived in. Again, take a look at verse number 23. They changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made unto like what? Man, birds, beasts, and creeping things. And verse 25, they worshiped the creation rather than the creator. Idolatry also, one of the dangerous parts of this, is it results in the darkening of the human heart. Take a look at verse number 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. We know who God is, but we don't want to worship him. Neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. And this last phrase is, is terrifying. Their foolish heart was darkened. Here's what the Bible tells us in John chapter 1. That Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And he's the light that lights every man that comes into the world. So get this. When you're born into this world, God places a light in you, which is the knowledge of him through his son, Jesus Christ. Are you with me so far? Light for every man that enters into the world. And then there comes a point in our life where we realize, hey, I don't want to follow God. I want to do my own thing. Hey, I don't want God to set the rules. I want to set my own rules. And according to verse number 21, the end of it, their foolish hearts were darkened. They went and they flipped the light switch on the light that was in their heart. It was a choice that they made. I don't need God. And then their foolish hearts were darkened. Let me just tell you this. Terrible things happen in the darkness of the human heart. Terrible things. Read the news, any heinous, News article that you would possibly read, and you say, How can someone do something so repulsive? It's the darkness of the human heart. And what we need to realize is all the terrible things that happen in the world today. And again, this is not a political statement, this is a biblical statement. The terrible things that happen in this world today are not because of guns, it's not because of access to guns. It's not due to 15-round magazines and assault rifles and things like that. It's due to the darkness of the human heart. 100%. And again, we cannot legislate morality. You can set up all the rules that you want to. It does not bring light to the human heart by making more laws or making more rules. And again, you'll find that the rules that, that are wanted to be passed by our government to be serious about whatever it is that's going on in the news cycle this week gets replaced with something else that becomes more urgent later. I remember 18 months, 24 months ago, there was a, a kid, I think in Georgia or somewhere like that, that shot up a massage parlor and targeted Asian people. And it was a stop Asian hate. We need more Asian hate, hate crime legislation. Okay, where's that at today? Did we make progress with that? Nobody really knows. it was really important for a couple of weeks, wasn't it? But the problem is we never fix the human heart. The problem and the crisis that our nation faces today is we become a nation of idolaters whose human hearts have been darkened, and the only thing that comes out of the heart is wickedness. That's the problem. This is why we have a generation of children that are addicted to pornography. This is why we have a generation of adults that are addicted to Pornography. This is why we have a coming up generation of young people who can't decide who they are, what their gender is, how they identify sexually because their human heart has been darkened. It's a spiritual crisis in America. And I'll go so far as to say this as well. It's a mental health crisis in America as well. Those are the problems that we face. And again, if you don't believe that, you should try to call and get an appointment with a therapist this week. Just call. You're going to find a lot of people that aren't taking new patients and somebody does have an opening, they're probably going to get you in in about 90 days, is the experience of folks that I've talked to. Why? Because everybody needs help. There's a crisis. Why? Because people need answers because what they're doing isn't working any longer. And, And here's the crazy part for us, church. We've got the answer book. We have the answer key to the questions that are being asked. Where can I find significance? Where can I find hope? What will heal my marriage? What will be of any value of my life? What am I supposed to do with my life? Where should I turn? We have all the answers, and the answers to all those is Jesus. But are we making use of it? When we talk about God's wrath, again, verse number 18, take a look at that in our text. Romans chapter 1 verse number 18 for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness God's wrath is his fervent anger punishment and judgment against sin and so we find that God's wrath is seen in him handing over the idolater to the uncleanness of their lust take a look at verse 24 there's a A really, really critical phrase here that we need to understand and process through to to really figure out how all this thing works. Take a look at verse number 24. Wherefore God, now again, mind you, verse 23, they became idolaters. Verse number 22, they think that they're wise, they're smarter than God. Uh, Verse number 21, they don't need God any longer because they figured life out on their own. Verse number 24 says this, wherefore God also gave them up. Those three words there are terrifying, and I'm going to tell you why. Wherefore God also gave them up to the uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. So here we see God says, if you want to go and pursue sin, go. Go ahead. One author described it this way, and I I, I cannot get the picture out of my mind. He said, so many times when people look at this passage, they think of God as having you and I or the idolater in a boat going down into the raging rapids and God's holding the boat back and God giving them up as God simply letting go and allowing the the boat to take its path. He said, that seems as if God's passive in the fact that God kind of removes his hands and walks away. But this verse, when it says, God gave them up, he said, the picture is this, that God's holding the boat headed towards the destructive rapids, and he doesn't just let it go, he gives it a shove on its way. And I read that, and like, my heart sank. And I went back, and I thought, no, 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 that's not, that's not possible. When you go back and read the scriptures, God gave them up. It's the same idea that a man who's convicted of a crime in a courtroom, who's been under the judicial umbrella, now hands the criminal over after he's found guilty, and he gives him up to the Department of Corrections for his punishment. Same picture here. That God gives up the idolatry. You want to chase after sin? Go ahead. You want to go serve other gods? I'm not going to keep you back. And so God gave them up. We see that in verse number 24 here, but if you look down in verse number 26, for this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. So we see here that God's just like, hey, you want to chase after sin? Go ahead, be my guest. Because here's the type of God that we have. Is he long-suffering? Yes. Is he patient? Yes. Is he gracious? Absolutely. Is he merciful? No doubt about it. So loving, because that's who God is. God is love. But if you choose to fight against God, to rebel against God, to deny the existence of God and make up your own gods that are better than the real God, God says, fine, go ahead. You can have it. I'm not going to hold you back any longer. And so God gave them up. And so we see this is this is God's wrath, this is God's punishment upon mankind, to give them up to their sin. Psalm eighty-one, verse number eleven. This happened for the children of Israel too. God says, "But my people would not hearken to my voice, and Israel would none of me. So I gave them up unto their own hearts' lusts, and they walked in their own counsels." Hosea chapter four, verse number sixteen. For Israel slideth back as a backsliding heifer. Now the Lord will feed them as a lamb in a large place. Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Leave him alone. Their drink is sour. They've committed whoredom continually. And her rulers do shame. Her rulers with shame do love. <laughs> Here's what God says. When you and I chase after other gods... When the idolater knows who God is and chooses not to follow after God, God has a really, really harsh, inflammatory, degrading word for that. Did anybody catch it there? Whoredom. (laughs) That's a hard word to say. Like you are a no good, worthless, unfaithful whore. And again, lest you think that this is a single time where God uses strong language like that, read it through the Old Testament. The children of Israel, every time they went after other gods, God says, you've gone a-whoring after other gods. I was supposed to be enough for you, but I wasn't. And so you've gone and joined yourself unto fake gods that will never satisfy, and you have whored yourself out to them. Harsh language, but it's biblical language. But it's interesting in Romans here where we see God give them up to their lusts, give them up to their sin, hand them over. We see that sin itself is punishment. Now, we got to unpack this for just a second, so hang with me. God always punishes sin. You cannot get away from sin, guaranteed. If you think your sin is a secret, the Bible says be sure your sin will find you out. Your sin will be punished by God 100% of the time. If you're a child of God, you'll be chastised, but you're not going to get away with your sin ever. But when God gives them up to their unclean lust, and God allows them to continue in their sin, sin itself is punishment. You know why? Because the Bible tells us in the book of James that every man is drawn away when he's drawn away by his own lusts and enticed. And lust, when it's conceived, brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth, somebody help me, death, every single time. Please understand, sin always ends in destruction. Always. You will pay the consequences for your sin. You will never get away from your sin, never get away with your sin. It will be punished because God hates sin. And so the wrath of God comes upon sin. But it's interesting to note that sin itself is punishment in and of itself. Sin degrades man, debases the image of God, strips man of his dignity, robs his peace of mind, plagues him with a guilty conscience, and destroys all relationships all the while creating distance and estranging man from God. To give a man up to his own lusts and desires and sin is punishment in and of itself. For God to push you away from his presence because you don't want it. Now, again, people look at this and go, that is so unloving of God to to push people away out of his sight. Now, God doesn't push you towards sin and make you sin. God gives you a push where you're already going anyways. You are already pursuing sin. That's so unloving. No, 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 it's not. Because God, again, the Bible says, we'll get to this in Romans chapter 2, is forbearing in his wrath. He's holding it back. But when you fight against God and you deny the existence of God and you replace God with other idols and you think that you're smarter than everybody else, you're smarter than God and smarter than God's word, God's like, fine, go ahead. Chase after your sin and see where it gets you. And so sin is punishment in and of itself. Again, this is more than God simply letting the sinner pursue their sin unrestrained. God is the active initiator of his wrath. Therefore, he hands them over to their sin as their new slave master. Again, this is not God just like, okay, you can go to your sin if you want to. God is is delivering you to your sin and dropping you off at the doorstep and saying, have at it. Go for it. See if you find fulfillment here. That is so heavy, but all we have to do is look around at our world today, and see that we're an idolatrous nation, who has forgotten God, who's chased after other gods, who's made ourselves idols that we worship, and God says, "Have at it. Go for it." And He's delivered mankind over to His own sin. Same thing with the children of Israel. Uh, again, if you read through the Old Testament, uh, some people say some of the, the, the most foolish things. I used to say dumb, but my wife told me that's a bad word, and so I don't say, people say dumb things. I say they say foolish things. It also makes me sound more theologically correct. Uh, so people say some of the most foolish things, and they say things like, well, you don't really need to read the Old Testament. That's just a bunch of history. Oh, no, 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 no. It explains the character of God. It shows what happens when a people rebel against God and leave the use of God, that he's no longer necessary. When God says, gives people rules and guidelines to follow, and people say, I don't really want to follow those, I want to do my own thing, God says, okay, that's fine, you can do that too. So we find ourselves here in uh, Numbers chapter 11, where the children of Israel have gone through the wilderness and God is feeding them with manna from heaven. They don't have to go out and, and till the ground, they don't have to go out and hunt animals and things like that. They just wake up every morning, and there's food on the ground called manna we don't really know what it was some people say it's kind of bread or like a a starch or some sort or something like that don't really know what it is the the word manna literally means what is it because they did not really know what it was but it was enough to sustain them in the wilderness for 40 years but like anybody who likes to eat you know okay i can eat it for a little while but i can't eat it every day and the children of israel beginning to complain they begin to gripe (sighs) manna again oh i wonder what's for lunch today Manna. What's for dinner, Mom? You know it, baby. Manna. Well, can we at least get like some crackers to put the manna on? No, no, no. You just get to eat the manna. Great. Perfect. And they begin to gripe and complain. I wish we could at least have some meat. Numbers chapter 11, verse number 18, finds them there complaining. Numbers chapter 11, verse number 18. God tells Moses. Say unto the people, sanctify yourself again tomorrow, and you shall eat flesh. You want meat? You got it. You've wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, who shall give us flesh to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you flesh, and you shall eat. Fine. You, wanna, you, you think Egypt was better? Did you forget that you were in slavery in Egypt, and I brought you out of that? You want to complain, go, at least in Egypt we had something to eat. Here's what he says. You shall eat. That's fine. You're not going to eat for a day. Not two days, not five days, not 10 days, not 20 days, but a whole month until it comes out your nostrils. And it will be loathsome to you because you've despised the Lord which is among you. And you've wept before him saying, Why came we forth out of Egypt? Fine, you want to gripe? You want to complain? This wasn't just complaining. It says they despised the Lord because of it. Get this, not too far of a jump. We don't want God. We don't want his presence. We don't want his promises. We want meat. What? You, like, you'd rather have meat than, than God? Absolutely. Feed us. And God says, okay. I'm going to give you so much meat that you're going to be sick of it. It's not going to be like a sweet little treat that you get to have one day and go back to manna the next day. No, you're going to eat it for a whole month. And you're going to eat so much meat that you're going to vomit and it's going to come out your nostrils. And you'll be begging for the day that you had manna. And you go, that sounds really, really mean. That's the wrath of God. You despise me? Okay. Fine. I'll give you what you ask for. I'll give you what you want. Be very, very careful what you pray for. One time you might actually get it. And you realize, oh, wait a minute, I didn't want that after all. Such a troubling uh, verse in the book of Psalms. That the children of Israel prayed before God, and he gave them their request, but he sent leanness to their souls. (laughs) Got what you wanted? You happy now? No, they weren't. God says, hmm, gave you what you wanted. Gave you what you asked for. That's God giving them up to their selfish, sinful desires. Again, remember that God's handing them over to their new slave master. We haven't gotten there yet. I don't want to spoil it. Uh, We're probably, I don't know, six months out from it at least. But in Romans chapter 6, it says you're either going to be a slave to God or you're going to be a slave to sin. Please understand, there is never freedom for anyone. You always serve a master. You can either serve God as your master, who is a, a loving, benevolent, kind, merciful master, or you can serve your sin where there is no mercy whatsoever. But please understand, there is no freedom in sin. None. Pray like three months or so ago, we were getting ready for a Sunday morning service a little bit before eight, and there's a guy parked out directly in front of our church. Like walk out the front door, you, you'd run into his car. Passenger side door was open on a fairly nice newer model uh, Mercedes. Passenger side door was open. Driver slumped over the steering wheel like this, totally unconscious. Every now and then he'll come to consciousness and he'll begin fumbling around for his keys and stuff like that. And uh, me and Pastor are out there watching, I was like, dude, he sticks his keys in the ignition. He better call the cops. Like, that dude cannot drive. And so he's somewhere around. He's like looking for his keys and he slumped back over in the passenger seat. Passenger side door open, slumped over in the passenger side, comes to, looks around for a little bit, falls back in the seat again. And we watched it for, I don't know, five minutes or so. I'm just making sure the guy's not going to drive. Eventually we called the cops and they came out and talked to the guy and stuff like that. But I'm watching it and I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. And Pastor Trey said, doesn't look like freedom to me, does it? (laughs) There's no freedom in that, that's for sure. He's a slave, slave to his sin." But be careful, because you and I can also become slaves to sin if we choose to change out the truth of God for a lie. We see God's wrath is seen by his active punishment, but here's the scary part about God's wrath. It's not only his active punishment, it's also his willful absence. God hands us over to our sin, and then he takes a giant step back and goes, Go for it. And part of God's wrath is his absence. That's punishment. Why? Because we need God's presence. We need God's hand of blessing. We need God's hand of favor upon us. And for God to say, I'm delivering you up to your sin. You can allow it to be your new master, and I am taking a step back. It's a scary place to be. God was absent during the crucifixion of Jesus Christ as his wrath was poured out upon his son. Again, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, Jesus died for your sins. Jesus took everything that you would ever do wrong, past, present, future. He took it upon himself on the cross and paid for that. You just have to be willing to reach out and receive it. But as he hung there, The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us. Jesus Christ became sin on that cross, and he was crucified because his shedding of his blood was the punishment. His death was the punishment for sin. That's God's wrath. But as Jesus Christ became sin, and God poured out his punishment and wrath upon Jesus Christ, God took a giant step back and turned his back on his son. Why? Because Jesus Christ was sin, and God cannot be in the presence of sin. And Jesus, for the first time ever, and the first time since, and the only time since, in all of eternal history, became separated from God the Father. And the spiritual anguish of enduring the wrath of the sins of mankind was so great that he cried out, My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Because he experienced the absence of God as the wrath of God was poured out. Hell will be merciless, no doubt, due to the torment and suffering. But there will be no rest due to the absence of God. Should you choose to serve another God, should you choose to serve yourself, should you choose to die in your sins and not put your faith in Jesus, you will go to hell. The Bible says it's a place of great torment. There will be wailing, gnashing of teeth. It's a place where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. Luke chapter 16 tells us there's a great gulf fixed between heaven and hell, and you can't pass from one side to the other. Once you're in hell, you're stuck for all of eternity, where you will pay for your sins but the worst part of all that is the absence of God because it's the absence of love. It's the absence of light. It's the absence of grace and mercy and everything that makes this life even worth living. It's the absence of all those things. And it's never ending. So hell is hell because of the absence of God. But here's the good news of this. In this downward slide towards wrath, there's always hope in Jesus. I was talking to a man who's uh, been attending our church this morning for, f- this is his fourth week. He said, I got born again 18 months ago and I'm trying to figure it all out. I said, man, I can help you. He said, he stood out there on the sidewalk and he said, Pastor, everything you said today was me. I was an idolater. My heart was so dark. It was so wicked. And he said, God had given me up to all those things. And he goes, I was I was cruising down the, the river with no hope. And he says, but is there, a, is there a chance for those people or does God just give them up and say, you're done? And I said, the good news is, is all you have to do is say, God, I was wrong. And he's gonna re- reach down and scoop you back up and you'll never sail those waters ever again. Always hope, always hope. What is that saying? God, I was wrong. We call that repentance. God, would you save me from my sin? Would you save me from your wrath? I believe. I, I receive. I know that you're the only way to heaven. I'm asking you to save me and forgive me of my sin. God will do that in a split second. And Despite the fact that God will judge sin, he's already willing to forgive but you see, God often allows man to go deeper and deeper into sin in order to drive them to despair and show them their need for him. And he often punishes men in an effort to heal and restore. God's wrath is designed, God's punishment is designed to show you that you can't do this on your own and you wouldn't want to if you could. It's meant to show you that he is the only way Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse number 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He's the only hope that you have for this life and the next. That's what wrath is meant to show you. That you need God. I need God. Please understand, I'm a pastor, but in my nature, I'm a sinner. And without Jesus Christ, I can't do enough good things in this earth on this earth to receive eternal life. And without Jesus, pastor, no pastor, good works, no good works. Without Jesus, I will split hell wide open just like anybody else. But because I put my faith in Jesus, I was a nine-year-old boy when I was born again. When I put my faith in Jesus, Jesus saved me from my sin. And the promise is he saved me from wrath to come. So all this in Romans chapter 1, it's not talking about me because I've been saved from wrath through Jesus Christ. And so, friend, if you're here today and you say, I don't really know if I'm saved or not, you're on the downhill slide towards God's punishment. And the moment that you stick your hand up and say, I believe and I receive and I've been wrong, the God of all grace comes down and scoops you up. All the wrong that has ever been done in your life is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so... As long as there's breath of life, there's hope. Did you know that God, God can save anyone? There's nobody that's outside the reach of God's grace. Nobody. Well, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. Frankly, I don't care what you've done. You cannot out the grace of God. Well, I know somebody who's done some really bad stuff. Yeah, me too. They can be saved. Haven't gotten there yet. Romans chapter 10, the pace we're going, it's probably going to be another 18 months before we get there, but Romans chapter 10, verse number 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He can save anybody. They still have breath in their lungs, there's hope. And there's hope in a person called Jesus. But please understand, make no mistake, the moment you take your last breath here on planet Earth, there's nothing that can be done. That's why, again, as we as Bible-believing Christians, when people die, we don't pray for the salvation of their souls after they're dead. We don't say things like, may their soul rest in peace. We don't say things like, may God have mercy on their soul. I think God has already had mercy or He's given judgment. And you and I can't change that with our prayers. You can't light enough candles. You can't get baptized for other people to get somebody to go to heaven. you got to make that decision before you die. Will you put your faith in Jesus? For those of us that are born again, that are saved, we look at this passage of Scripture again. This passage doesn't apply to us, but there's some nuggets that we can pull out, some principles that will apply. Have you replaced the Creator for creation? Christians aren't immune to idolatry, for sure. Is there something in my heart that needs to be made right with God. If so, I need to examine and ask God to expose that so that I can make it right. Is there somebody that you know and love like me? That people that I know and love who are idolaters and they're in danger of God's wrath and judgment, would you pray for them? Would you share truth with them? Would you encourage them? Eternity's a long time. I don't want anybody to die and go to hell. Here's the awesome thing about God. God doesn't delight in wrath. God's not happy to punish people. God doesn't enjoy handing people over to their sin. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to Repentance. The Bible says that God doesn't even delight in the death of the wicked. God wants to give grace. We should too. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.